Fox Spots and Chair Shots. And people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Fox Spots and Chair Shots on all platforms to make sure we get in here on Fox Spots and Chair Shots. One of the hottest podcasts out here. Definitely from the spotlight. DJ Savage represents the takeover all day. And Fox Spots and Chair Shots, check Hello to all my people who are watching live, checking us out on YouTube, or listening on your favorite podcast provider. You are most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Pots and Share Shots. We still have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, except not tonight. We're not giving you any wrestling content because tonight it's horror movies and waffles. We're having breakfast for dinner. So, joining me tonight is the shamanist She Elite. She's the host of Inside the Mind of Storytime with Katie Kinsey Baby. She is co-host of Smacking It Raw. She is the hardest working woman in podcasting and show business. Katie Rasslin. Katie, how are you, dear? Welcome back. I'm, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me after I begged to be on here. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up and she, uh, Allison was like, hey, Katie's going to be on the show tonight. And I was like, cool. <laughs> Also tonight, he is the host of the number one wrestling podcast on the Pornhub. He is smacking it raw. He is also the host of the number one horror podcast on Pornhub, Getting Offed. He is the co-host of Them Dragons. He is part of Creation Conversation. But most importantly, he's my personal Pornhub poppy. He is the Warden Matt Ritter. Mateo, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Glad we talk some more. I've been talking wrestling all fucking week, so let's mix it up. (laughs) Let's do this. And for the first time, he is the host of the Get Show Podcast. He is also the co-host and one of those Marks with Mics. You get it? You see what I did there? Clever, right? Clever. Come on. Scissor me, Daddy Jess. Come on. That's right. We're here. Getting off. Crew is in the building. We're ready to talk some chupacabras. (laughs) My Asian twin down there in the corner. (laughs) Let's do this. That's right. That's right. And joining the fray tonight, she's not in the boss bitch's corner because that's not what we do here. This is a different show. She's just one <laughs> of the people. Uh, she is the hove of my Beyonce, the bonnet of my Clyde. She is the boss bitch, Miss Allison Siegel. Allison, how are you? I'm good. All right, guys. Uh, I'm going to ask you, do any of you have anything you're pissed off for greatness for? Anything that's got you worked up? It doesn't even need to be wrestling related tonight. It could be anything. Horror movies, podcasting, social life, somebody at the grocery store. Anything before we dive into the conversation? Um, I think if I have to just start off, I think I'm just going to say the endless conversation of WWE being sold to whoever. I think that's too redundant now. I think we need to leave that alone. That was how many weeks? That was like two days ago. Let's just leave (laughs) it where it is. Let's just move on with our lives, people. (laughs) Just move on with it. I can agree to that. I don't know if it if it counts for today. It was actually kind of yesterday, but it's still in my mind. Uh, I'm pissed off at all the different fucking shades of color that there are. Um, so I'm I'm shopping with my wife, and she's looking to paint something, and she's looking at all these shades of color. And I was talking to her, and I said, "Our cabinets in our kitchen are green," and she goes, "No, or not green, gray. Sorry." She goes, "No, they're blue." And I'm like, "Well, it's got a blue, but they're gray." And she goes, "No." And then we're in the store looking at colors and she said she wanted to paint something light blue so i grabbed a light blue and she goes oh no that's that's not light blue and i'm like that's definitely light blue and she goes no i was thinking something like that i'm like that's fucking white and she goes no it's not white it's blue that's white and then she holds them together i'm like well yeah if you hold it next to like pure white you can tell that there's blue in it but when you're looking at all of the blue colors it looks white and she goes you're just colorblind and i'm like 
<laughs> so, yeah, that. Love okay, that. okay. Love that. Too many fucking I, shades. I accept that. So, so hold on, not to interrupt, but you're basically throwing shade at shades. Yes, I'm throwing shade at shades. Throwing okay. shade at shades. As I'm in a gray room. Yeah. Is it gray or is it blue? It looks is it no, blue. It's gray. It's gray. It's gray. <laughs> Are you sure? A positive. Questioning <laughs> all reality. That looks blue. Blue. It, looks, it looks blue because of the lighting in here, but it's definitely gray. It even said gray on the color when I picked it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I have one, and it's topical because of the episode uh it's the amount of good horror i see on tiktok and youtube shorts that aren't available in my region in the united states um i feel like there was a a movie i think maybe you and i talked about it matt on one of the the previous episodes it was um it's banned in the u.s and can't get released on netflix but we it's got well i can't remember the name of it um, but it's, it's one of those where you get really hyped, you see the story, then you find it, then you realize it's not available in your region. Like, that's what pisses me off. The movie is null and void. It doesn't matter. But, yeah, that's what has me pissed off for greatness. But what brings us here tonight, The Conjuring. Okay. Uh, over the time, there's been nine movies, eight released, one in post-production, a crew of cast, the directors, cinematographers, producers, The Conjuring, Conjuring 2, The Devil Made Me Do It, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, Annabelle Homecoming, uh, The Nun, The Curse of, Matt, help me pronounce it. La, uh, la, yo, uh, ah, wow, I'm la fucking Rona. it up. La Riona. La Llorona? Yes, there you go. La Llorona. And then The Nun 2, which is coming out later this year. Ton of movies, ton of time. Uh, it would be forever if we broke it down individually. So I've kind of got some, some talking points for us to work through the initial thoughts process though. I'm going to ask each one of you a question, Matt, I'm going to start with you. Uh, who do you think the stories portray Ed and Lorraine Warren to be? Um, who do I think the stories portray, portray them to be? Yeah. Um, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. Um, you know, that's who I think they portray them. To. I mean, so I, I know they took liberties with some of the, the accounts and everything like that for cinematic effect and all that. But, um, essentially, I mean, if you, if you want me to describe who Ed and Lorraine Warren in the movies are and their relationship to each other, they're, uh, a, a Christian couple who are absolutely head over heels in love, who have, uh, embarked on this journey, um, to investigate and in some cases rid the world of evil spirits um or i guess in the third movie uh evil people um because she was witch so but uh yeah they're paranormal investigators um who are heavy into the religious aspect of it with the exorcisms and the bibles and things and they're supposed to just be good people who want to help those who can't get help um, in some cases, they're there on behalf of the church to kind of debunk this stuff. Um, and sometimes the church is like, yeah, cool, like, let's do it. And sometimes you're like, uh, we might not be able to get involved. And they're like, oh, 
well, then I guess we're going to have to do it ourselves. So. All right, Katie. Who do you think the Warrens were in real life? Like how much, I guess what I'm asking is how much of the, the fictional movies we saw, how much do you think was that copied over into real life for us? I mean, I can say with probably like 100% certainty that like the love and devotion they had for each other, 100% there, like real life and in the movies. Um, I would say they, it probably like the majority of their portrayal in the movies was like them in real life because I know Lorraine was on the set for the first movie. So she definitely got to like see how things were going. Doesn't she in have cameos in multiple movies in the universe? At least the the Conjuring series. I don't know. I'll look it up. Let's see. I know for certain she was um, behind the scenes on the first one, possibly the second. But I also don't remember when she died. So then that plays into it too. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. So since she's probably on the set for the first two, third one obviously not. But I want to say, like, it's probably, like, mostly what you see is what you get. But then with, like, just a hint of movie magic kind of shit. Or the portrayal is how she... Because, again, you have to look at it as if she's there saying this is how (laughs) things were, this is how we were, that is her viewpoint of their relationship looking back on it uh, after her husband passed and of fondness and everything so it may be through rose colored glasses of how everything went because now these are memories of her and someone she loved and so on and so forth so mm-hmm. could also be a little skewed uh from her point of view if she had any um, if she had any input on her character or the relationship between the characters true all right miss siegel how much truth is there in the gray area between the way Matt was explaining kind of who they were in the stories and how Katie kind of started painting the picture of who they were in real life. (coughs) Excuse me. How much of the truth in that gray area, that in-between are there? Because you were talking earlier when we were watching one of the movies about the suspicion and rumors and stuff like that, Uh, kind of the rabbit hole that you went down there. Yeah, so, like, since the movies have come out... Um, this woman who's in her 70s now <coughs> tried to sue Warner Brothers for these for the story not being actually true or based on truth because she said that she started a relationship with Ed um, when she was 15 in the 60s and lived with, with them for 40 years in this sort of like relationship with the two of them. Um, And other people have come out and sued them about certain things. And then, like, being a hoax. um, Yeah. Well, I mean, with every paranormal activity investigator, paranormal investigator, whatever, that they're always, especially once popularity is gained, Mm -hmm. you'll see the same thing in religion with pastors and things like that and that's a lot of the time there is truth behind it but uh they always come under question for their intentions and whether or not what they're doing is real so on and so forth the more notoriety you get the more 
people dig into things and question things and try and poke holes and things. Um, but that also kind of leads into what I said at the end of, you know, Katie answering her question. Whereas if Lorraine had poetic license to kind of help build who these characters were through her eyes, obviously this is how she wanted to see her and her husband's mm -hmm. relationship presented. She's going to leave out the 15 year old girl that lived with them and slept with her husband so on and so forth like that's not something that she's going to want in there because yeah. she's probably not going to like how that looks to the public yeah i believe the lawsuit ended up getting getting <coughs> dropped um but yeah she was specifically suing warner brothers they either dropped or settled i can't remember but she was specifically suing warner brothers which i found interesting and not lorraine in the family directly I got to give Will credit because, honestly, I was so confused as to where this line of questioning was going. And I was like, yeah, how high so did he I. get before the show? Like, what is going on here? Six foot tall. <laughs> I think the person you're talking about is uh, Judith Penny. Did you really just look this up? I yeah. was looking for That's lawsuits. I, I didn't realize they got sued for over $900 million for the guy who did the Warrens uh, TV show in the 90s. Um, Warner Brothers Whoa. paid out nine hundred million dollars in rights to get the war the rights to the Warren stuff, and I had no idea that happened. That was in twenty seventeen, so that was two movies in, and they had mm. they spent almost a billion dollars to get the rights to all the Warrens, everything that has to do with them. Apparently, I was just reading about it. Uh, just <clears throat> rounding out the initial thoughts of who the Warrens were, uh, you you've got the unlucky draw because. Uh, Everybody else, is, this, this question is going to come up later for everybody else. Do you think the Warrens are the anchor characters in the Conjuring universe? I'm putting you on the spot first before everybody Ooh, else. Interesting. I mean, it's like, like I would have to feel like they're, when something is always happening, they're always there, right? So I kind of have to agree, like... They're the anchor of why these, like, demons or whatever have come, you know? Like, maybe when they were trying to get rid of something, something else came through, the whatever you want to say, the uh, ghost portal, if you want to say the ghost stargate, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, something has come through there on the midst of them trying to get rid of something. So, I would have to agree and say yes, the Warrens are um, the, uh, the anchor. All right. So let's let's dive into the series then, and uh, start looking at it, who the Warrens are, and how the series gets going. Instead of like I said, it's not with it having nine films. The amount of time we could do if we dissected every single movie, it would take a long, long time. So what I want to do is, I want to look at it in The Conjuring, and then we're going to look at Annabelle, then we're going to look at the three spinoffs. So looking at the three Conjuring mm. movies first. Because um, it's, it's kind of a, a woven web on how all of these stories intertwine with each other. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of paint a picture and then kind of put it together chronologically as we go. Um, because the three Conjuring movies don't take place in chronological order. Uh, Matt, you're going to tee it off. The first Conjuring movie, it starts with a snippet of Annabelle at the very beginning who doesn't come out until that's actually the second movie in the series, but not the second movie in the Conjuring series. Conjuring came out in 2013. Annabelle came out in 2014. Um, right. So let's start diving into the first Conjuring series, introducing who Annabelle was, introducing the Warrens, and going from there. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, the, the movie kicks off. 
Uh, it's two young girls who apparently have not grown up past playing with dolls. Um, get a doll, <laughs> and uh, that doll decides it's gonna play with them, and it scares the shit out of them. Literally, writes on a piece of paper, "Play with me." Like, and uh, so they call the Warrens, and the Warrens come in, and they're like, "Yeah, there's something fucked up about that doll. We're gonna take it with us." Um, and that was really just to kind of set the basis of, I think, a because the Annabelle doll, which was actually a Raggedy Ann doll, is one of the most famous artifacts in. So they knew everyone was gonna ask about that, but that's not the story they wanted to tell right off the bat, but it also helped them, as you said, build out this universe. So we've introduced, we've got it out of the way. It's there. They used a far more creepy doll than a Raggedy Ann doll to do this. Um, and then we move on to what the actual story that we're telling is, which is um, the family who moves into a house that is on a land where a witch hung herself uh, and cursed the land and is infected the families that have lived on that land, the mothers causing them, you know, to hurt themselves and kill their children and do all of these terrible things. And we see this very happy family, uh, clearly happy because they've got so many goddamn kids. They must never stop bugging. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I could not imagine living in a house with like that many daughters and my wife just run, like it would. Yeah. It would drive me crazy um, in the middle of nowhere. And I love my wife and I love my daughters, don't get me wrong. Or my daughter, don't get me wrong. Daughter, whoa. Well, yeah, just one. Um, for now. But uh, yeah, they move in. Everything, Everything's supposed to be nice and happy. We got this house. It's big enough for us. And, you know, it, it's going to be hard, but we're going to make it work. And then scary shit starts happening. And they have to call for help. And uh, the mother, who, again, tie in. So... The mother goes to see a seminar that the Warrens are giving where they are talking about a young man who was possessed who happens to be the young man that gets possessed by the nun at the end of the nun um, mm -hmm. up on the screen. And they that, that also leads to that. Um, and then she stops and she talks to them and explains and they come out and they check everything out. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, uh, upside down, you know, crosses and things happening and knocking and all. none of this is good. We're going to move in for a little while and help you figure this shit out. Um, Bathsheba then eventually possesses a mother and sends her after her daughter. And there's there's always a little trinket hidden in the wall somewhere that is possessed and allows the spirit. And they, they find the little music thingy. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Katie, when you watch movies like The Conjuring, like, I, I guess what I'm going to ask is, uh, do movies like this scare you? Are you a supernatural scare or are you like a realistic scare? Do like Jeffrey Dahmer style scary stuff scare you because he was a real person, real life? Or does the supernatural stuff give you the heebie-jeebies more than normal? Uh, both. Okay, so, so just I'm, a scary I in general. Yeah, so like I firmly believe in the supernatural stuff. Ghosts are fucking real. That's uh, a point I will make right now. Uh, so that always scares me. Like paranormal activity scared the shit out of me for the longest time as a kid. So like that stuff scares me. But then like real life stuff, yeah, because people are actually terrifying because they are crazy. So that scares me, but I think the supernatural stuff scares me just a little bit more, I guess. So during the, the recent rewatch of The Conjuring, this is a, a question for all of you. And this is a tie-in to Getting Goffed, because uh, wrestling podcasts also exist in the same, the same multiverse. Um, 
I noticed the first thing I noticed when I was rewatching it was the clocks ticked off at 3.07. How the fuck did the ghost in the house know that it was 3.07? Like, because that was the first thing that came to mind. I remember that conversation you guys had on getting off. And then I immediately wrote it down and I was like, this is, this is going to be a reoccurring thing in every horror movie conversation I have for the rest of my existence is how do ghosts know what time zone it is? Exactly. And it's not so much like, how did the ghost know it's three o'clock? It's they say that three o'clock is, is the devil's hour, the witching hour. It's right. when all the scary shit happens. But three o'clock for us is different than three o'clock for Katie. So I never got my answer from TikTok, by the way. Like, everyone's like, oh, well, they died in that time zone. So they go by that time zone or well, like whatever. But I never really got like an expert answer. No one came out and could tell me like, you know, if somebody who lived their entire life in Pennsylvania died in Chicago right when they got there, are they going to start fucking shit up at 4 a.m. <laughs> thinking it's 3? Like, I never got my answer. I don't, I don't have an answer for Yeah, that. and the woman that, you know, the witch that killed herself on the property, like, that was in the 1800s. Like, there, what's our daylight savings time? Like, this is the 60s. Are we, I forget when daylight savings time started. Like, you know. And if you even look at it from the, you know, the, the, the astrological side of it about that's when the energy is there and the spirits can enter earth. If you look at it from an energy perspective, then that has nothing to do with time zones. That's just in that moment. So if it's 3.07 in the morning and it's dark in Rhode Island, then that means on the other side of the world, spooky shit's happening in the middle of the fucking day. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon and like shit's getting knocked off the counter and stuff. Like <laughs> That's what I'm saying. There has to be some logic here. And until somebody gets us answers, I'm going to bring it up on every spooky conversation I have. So I have a question. When did the witch hung, hung herself? 307. I know, but what year? Do you remember the year? Um, so looking at the story, like just kind of to going along with it, um, stylistically... Compared to the other ones, uh, do you think that when they started it, they had a $20 million budget. By the end of the movie, they're shooting with a $150, $200 million budget. Uh, did you think this is one of those series, like, watching it, I didn't tell a difference. Like, it didn't seem like from one movie to the other, they did a whole lot that really changed what they were doing. Sort of, as you get into the nun and stuff like that with more of the CGI stuff. But, like... What did you guys think stylistically from movie to movie as they go? Because they start with a lower budget, then get more expensive. Um, I'll, 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 I'll just answer real quick. Um, to me, I think the Conjuring movies are kind of all the same within the same budget, I think. Um, with, the, with, the, with like, you know, two and three, they kind of had a little bit more money to play with, but they didn't go far away from the formula of what made them successful, right? But like The, the Nun, Annabelle... You know, they definitely spent money and, you know, give or take, you know, some of the graphics kind of took you out of the movie, depending on how, what you think graphics should look like. So I think in particular, I think the nun has like kind of like the more money, but like it's kind of a weak graphics. I don't know if y'all agree, but that's just me. I mean, oh, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say it was 1863 that uh, she killed herself. Okay, 1863, okay. Well, the reason why I asked that question is because Modern Time was made in 1884, 
So maybe she had known something that modern time was going to exist, so she knew it was going to be three. I'm just saying, that's all I'm saying. 20 years before we made the man-made <laughs> construct that is time, uh, she knew about it because she was a witch hey, and figured it we out. Don't know. Um, we don't know. You were, Egypt you were was using it in 1500 BC, so I'm just, you know, if we're just throwing out, you know, <laughs> stats, I'm just saying. Um, what I was going to say is that, I mean, yeah, like the three Conjuring movies, I mean, the fourth one will probably end up being the same. Um, they add, like, a little bit more, like, graphic CGI, and they kind of amp it up each movie. It's not, like, insane, but, I mean, I feel like it's a good, like, escalation. Like, the first one's pretty, pretty mild. Second one, shit gets a little wilder. Third one, fucking witches popping up out of nowhere. And <laughs> yeah. Crazy. So, I mean, I think they're subtle enough, but they're not, it's not, like, terrible. Like, I think they do, like, a good, like, progression with the budgets, I guess. Like, a good balance. Do you think they need the extra stuff? Because The Conjuring is kind of, like, the base of all the other stories. It's the the foundation that the nun came off of, that Annabelle was the the vessel but it was the the story of the warrens that made annabelle what it was so do you think they were the foundation so they didn't necessarily need all the extra stuff because of that because those those three movies are very different than the other three like i get not stylistically in a ways but they're not they don't have as much i guess is what i'm saying like do you think it's because they were kind of setting the foundation of who ed and lorraine were for the rest of the movies Maybe. so <clears throat> James Wan directed the first movie and I am a huge fan of James Wan and then he's produced every movie since so I feel like even as a producer with the feel of the movie and the look and everything that we're talking about here he had a hand in that even if he wasn't directing um, especially as a producer and how much goes into it and so on and so forth um, so I feel like that's why whether you start with 20 million dollars or you're at 150 million dollars by the end as you're watching it, it doesn't feel very different because you still have that uh, master at the helm kind of guiding things and correcting things as they go and saying, okay, let's try this. Let's add a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but keeping the same feel. Um, I'm not like Katie. Uh, I feel like I could take Dahmer in a fight, but uh, the paranormal shit freaks me the fuck out. Well, no, because you said like real life stuff and ghosts yeah, yeah, yeah. freak you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I could take a serial killer. Like, in a fight for my life, I think I would survive as long as it's not like a, a supernatural Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, some undead being. Like, if it's just a dude, I think I could win. So that doesn't really freak me out. I feel like I could handle myself, like, if there's an intruder in my house, stranger, shit like that. The paranormal stuff freaks me out because you can't, like, they're throwing shit across a room. There's no defending that. Like, you can't grab them and hold right. them down and stop them from doing this shit. So that's where that creepiness creeps in for me. Um, especially... One of my favorite scenes in the entire franchise was from the first movie with the parent family where they're doing the exorcism in the basement before they get the okay because they have to do it now and she's doing all the shit and throwing everyone across the room and trying to murder everyone from her chair and you see bathsheba emerge from oh. her and her change like i love it so yeah, I agree. The normal stuff. Well, you know what? I'll say this. Both things scare me. Normal and paranormal. You know? I appreciate the normal stuff because that's what 
Like, the whole idea that these normal, everyday guys are the ones that are going to run up and get us. But also the paranormal stuff seems... That's what's extra creepy, because it's almost like you don't have any control over what's happening right. with it. You don't have any control over any of that. Um, let's go ahead and move on. Who has a question? What's up, Mateo? I'm sorry. Well, we have an expert in the chat that we didn't use when we were talking about So, Bobby, you were alive before time zones were created, and now after. <laughs> how did that work for you, and how did you figure them out? As someone who's experienced both periods of time, I'm curious. <laughs> he said first. In the chat. But yeah. <laughs> um, the paranormal, paranormal definitely is scarier to me. Like, I prefer to watch, like, um, like supernatural scary movies versus, like, I'm just going to stab you. Because to me, like... That's not scary. It's just gross. I want to... If I'm going to watch a scary movie, like, I want to be scared. Like, holy fuck, this is going to happen. Bobby says it keeps him young. Well, uh, he said he always goes backwards, so his year has 600 plus days. Uh, that's what keeps him young. The same as Hogan, right? Yeah. Um, so, looking at the second one. When they moved to the second one, we get a snippet at the beginning, same as Annabelle. We get the snippet of what comes to be in... The devil made me do it. But during the second one, we get the equivalent of what is the English uh, Amityville Horror, right? That's kind of the gist of it. It's an English family. They've got a farmhouse. The the, Hodge, the Hodgins or Hodgkins? Hodgins family? Um, I, I the beginning the, of two is, is Amityville Horror. Amityville. Is that Amityville yeah. Horror? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, then I... Okay, then I wrote that down in my notes wrong. I apologize. Correction. <laughs> Amityville Horror. Then they go to England for the family. And that is correct. The infill poltergeist. Um, it's very it's very equation. You know, you've got the Warrens. You've got a spooky ghost. They perform an exorcism to save the family. Um, looking at this one, did you find it more or less scary than the first one? And I know that seems like a weird, like, not a weird question on a horror podcast, but, like, was did you like the second one more than the first one, just pure, based purely off of the, the horror tactics? I felt like they were a little bit more jump scary with the second one. Not at first, but I think I like it as much as the first one now. So I felt like the ending of two with the nun and the way that she fought off uh, Valak was kind of anticlimactic. I felt like it ended really shortly uh, compared to what we got in the first one with the exorcism of Bathsheba and all of that stuff. I was like, oh, but as you watch it and you notice more things and you see more things and you pay attention to and as the universe grows and progresses and everything, I, I feel like I have a different appreciation for it. Also, there's a small little piece of me that really loves The Conjuring, too, because so my wife wanted to dance to... Um, I can't help falling in love with you by Elvis at our wedding. Mm. And that is a song that Ed plays for them. And that is why I agreed to it because it had a horror movie connection. I'm like, I'm nice. good. So we danced to that song by Elvis at our wedding. Nice. So now every time I watch that movie and I hear Ed sing it, which I tried to get her to find a version of Ed singing it to dance to, but we couldn't do that. Um, 
but uh, it reminds me of dancing with my wife at my wedding. So <sighs> as weird as that sounds for a horror movie about a family whose daughter is possessed and trying to kill them all, um, every time I watch it, I think of my first dance with my wife at our wedding. Yeah, the best scenes in the movie. That's why. And shout out, shout out! Your uh, wife's birthday was last Sunday too. So, on the eighth, yes. Yep. Yep. Fantastic! <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Uh, we also got introduced to the Crooked Man in the second one. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to segue from that. I don't want. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck to do. I'm just gonna jump right into it. <laughs> like the introduction, the introduction of the Crooked Man. Uh, they always got the little the trinkets and everything that the Warrens take away from it. Um, what did you think about how they tied that in with the the Crooked Man and where he was, and when you found out? through the storyline as it appeared who the crooked man was you see what i'm like the the way uh-huh. that story worked throughout the movie what did you think about that i guess it wasn't crooked it just you know falls in line um i thought it was okay i mean you know what to kind of jump back to the last question i wasn't as scared as the uh like as this one as i was for a part from part one to part two i did like it was more story involvement because they're trying to attach the whole thing with the nun and everything that happened so to to me yeah i kind of like what they were doing with the crooked man so will are you are you getting that because there were rumors i don't know if it's still gonna happen but there were rumors that they were going to make a crooked man like a separate movie featuring the crooked man correct Uh, which going to be i i hope there's not because he wasn't really a thing like he was valak and mind you I think Valak is the creepiest thing in James Wan's entire universe, looks-wise. The nun outfit, the eyes, all of that. So that's another thing I will give to them. Bathsheba looked like her turning into whatever, but like that, and especially the way they do it in later movies with like the portraits and things and creepy as shit. But when I heard that they were going to make a Crooked Man movie, I was like, how? Because all she was doing was using the old man as kind of her conduit to scare these people, but she was creating all of these visions and things, the, the crooked man and making all of these things happen and possessing the old man and all this stuff. So he wasn't really like, it made sense for the nun because the nun is a demon and there was a story there. But if the nun was portraying something from this kid's toy and brought it to mm-hmm. life, is it the nun to the crooked man where she's just decided she's going to be the crooked man going forward like i'm done with religion uh like i don't know i i didn't feel like there was a need for it yeah in the movie itself it works and it's creepy and it's fun and i like the little rhyme that goes with it and all of that and you know it's to help the kid with a speech impediment billy yes billy with his stutter uh, I'm happy they're not good. There was a, there was talk that there wasn't a big man, but last time I saw there wasn't. It was listed as part of like the Conjuring universe because apparently at one point they were talking about making like a short film. Um, okay. I don't know, no. but it's, it just feels like they're trying to uh, uh, capitalize on that viral. Uh, what was it? The uh, the tall, skinny, slender man. 
Slender Man, there you yes, go. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, when, I, when I chose this initially, I was like, I really liked the Annabelle series. I just saw the third Conjuring for the first time not too long ago and rewatched it. I didn't realize it was very Fast and the Furious for me when I realized how many movies were tied into this universe and how much was going on with it. I was like, what did I sign up for? Because uh, there were a couple where I was like, I had to rewatch some of them. Um, and the second one was one of them where I wasn't super familiar with the story. I'd only seen it like once or twice. It did double the budget from the first one. And as somebody who asked about it, like, what do you think from progression from movie to movie? I didn't see a double in CGI or a double in production value or anything like that from movie to movie to go from a 20 million to a $40 million budget. For me, this didn't yeah. show that, that gap and that jump. Something cool about this though is so you can watch it in release order and you can get the story and everything's cool, kind of like the MCU, but also like the MCU, there's a chronological order that you can watch this in that yes. gives you a whole different perspective of the movie. Like if I were to sit down with someone for the first time, I would watch it with them in chronological order because I'm, I'm sure we're about to talk about it. But when I first sat down and watched the first Annabelle movie, I did not love it. Then they did Annabelle Origins and Annabelle, or no, it was Annabelle Creation and then uh, Annabelle, Annabelle Comes, Comes Home. Home. Yeah. Um, and those two I loved. And the way that they tied it in at the end to make it make sense for what the first Annabelle movie was, then into The Conjuring and all that. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Now I like this movie more. But the first time it came out, I, I wasn't really feeling it. Um, but if you watch it in that chronological order and you have Annabelle, you know, I think if you if you technically did it, it would be like parts of the nun and then Annabelle creator yeah, Annabelle creation and so on and so forth, and you'd work your way through. Um, but I would never I can't do like start a movie yeah. and then stop it and go watch another movie and then come back to it later. That's fucking stupid. Um, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> the nun has gaps. I'm, I I pulled up the universe for the timeline when you started talking, Matt. So the nun yeah. has gaps between the Nun and Annabelle creation, and then between right. Annabelle creation and Annabelle, then between Annabelle and The Conjuring, then The Conjuring, Annabelle comes home, The Curse, then more from The Nun, then The Conjuring 2, then more from The Nun, then The Conjuring 3. So you'd literally yeah. have That's to watch terrible. The Nun in like six different periods nope. to get it all to intertwine with the rest of the movies. Um, no, thank you. So as wrestling podcasters, the lot of us here... Uh, the term long-term storytelling is something we talk a lot about. <laughs> do you think the fact that we're looking down the barrel of nine movies now, do you think a producer, a director, a writer needs to have movies spread out over 50 years to tell the whole story? Was there anything in this timeline where you're like, we could have done without this, or this could have been shorter maybe? Well, I guess it depends if you're doing it from a wrestling angle like that. So then are the Warrens the uh, universal champion? Are the they Warrens the double? Okay, the Warrens are the bloodline. Okay. The okay. <laughs> okay, so the Demons is Vince McMahon. Okay, so then the Nun, <laughs> technically, I guess you could say, would be Kevin Owens at this point? Or is oh that. My God. <laughs> Isn't even happening That's here. That's exactly what it is. The nun is Kevin. Okay, Owens. okay. You're good. Jeff. Okay, 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 okay. So then I guess you could say. <sighs> uh, okay, so then I guess, I guess you know I don't know when when would they stop. I mean I guess if there's so many materials that the Warrens have to use, then I guess they could keep telling that story, just like well, how everyone's enjoying Roman Reigns. Why make him lose? 
Well, I'm right? pretty sure the next Conjury movie that's coming out, which is the fourth one, is the last one. Which okay. is kind of a bummer because they gave us Annabelle Comes Home, and in it we got a so bunch many. of different things, you know, uh, the boatman and the bride and that samurai suit and the little uh, clapping monkey and the TV. Mm -hmm. Like they showed us all of these things. Each one could be its own story because this isn't, I don't know if they feel like it is, but this isn't something that needs to go chronologically. You can tell mm -hmm. all of these different stories from the Warren's lives and get all of these movies out. See, I love franchises. I do. I love Friday 13th, Saw, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween is my favorite. Like, I love continuity. I love being in this universe. And it, it is absolutely something that could have carried on and gone on to jump the gun a little bit since he already asked Justin, who's below me on my screen. I don't know where he is for you guys. Um, uh, I guess he's down to the left. Um, but to maybe jump the gun. The Warrens are absolutely the linchpin, and once you stop making Conjuring movies, then you can. It, it makes it hard to start bringing in new ghosts, demons, spirits, characters, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, into the franchise. Because this is not a franchise that I think can be taken off by like a priest from the convent, or uh, you know, possibly um, I, I'm blanking out the the sister from the nun grown up, and like that's. All of this is based and then spun off from what is created around the Warrens. And I get that um, Vera Firminga and uh, I'm blanking Patrick out on Wilson. his name as well, too. Yeah, Yes, Patrick Wilson are probably getting a little old. And as the years go on, it's going to be harder and harder to yeah. bring them back to do these movies. Um, you could recast them as younger and do mm -hmm. some younger, some younger things with them. Like there are options, but I once you stop making conjuring movies then you stop kind of progressing this universe it's going to kind of kill the universe so they're definitely the linchpins 100%. looking at allison this is a i'll start with you here um one of my questions was the drawing power of the of the series and matt was just speaking on that with the amount of stuff in the warren's museum and stuff somebody who comes from a marketing perspective did they write this specifically so they had an open-ended way of going with it because you've seen it uh you were talking about what's the guy baggins zach baggins. zach baggins he bought like a third of their collection at one point a couple years ago after her death which included the annabelle doll um, yep. Do you think this was kind of an open-ended way for the writers to have like a never-ending story of movies for this franchise, like from a marketing perspective? Yeah, I definitely think that they could. I mean, there's so many different stories and different things, you know, from the Warrens that I think, you know, are lesser known that could be really good tales. Like, honestly, they could do, instead of doing full-length movies, they could do like a series where, you know, it's like, you know, each individual artifact if they don't have you know like if it's not enough for a whole story but still a, a good story to tell like they could do things like that i think it'd be really cool i know that zach baggins used to have a show used to have a show about his museum in vegas yeah. where um he would talk about all the different artifacts and different things that he has one of the reasons he has the annabelle doll is that him him and lorraine got close like, before she died. Like, she came on the show several times. Like, she felt like he was the correct person to take care of that doll. And mm -hmm. it not 
do terrible things. So, um, mm. no, I think it'd be really cool. And from a marketing standpoint, people eat this shit up. You know, whether people believe it's a hoax, not a hoax, whatever. You know, it's, it's interesting that, like, everything has a trinket, you know. Yeah. But I think it'd be cool. I mean, I've been to that museum in Vegas. Like, I've been to Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum. Oh, shit. It's fucking creepy. Yeah, so, like, you see the doll? Yes. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen it. I've seen everything. It's fucking creepy. Like, the rocking chair moves on its own. Oh, I don't remember fuck. if it did or not when I was there. I, it's been, like, two years. I don't really remember. Um, But, yeah, like, that... He... Zach Bagans is very much like he gathers things from like serial killers and like the warrens and he preserves them i guess like you literally go in there you can't touch a single thing you can't take pictures of anything like your phone has to like be in a pocket or they'll like take it and kick you out oh wow that's serious well yeah demons justin (laughs) hey listen hey (laughs) um i was gonna say he reminds me of the character from guardians the collector yeah. 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 That's, that's all I want. <sighs> Can I answer like Bobby's question real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, Chucky versus Annabelle would not work. And part of the reason, and that's a great transition into the Annabelle movie, is that Annabelle itself is not possessed by a person or a serial killer or anything. Right. It's actually kind of puppeteered by a demon. And that's what kind of turned me off when I watched Annabelle for the first time was finding out that the entity wasn't actually living inside the doll and making the doll walk around and move and do things, but it was kind of behind the doll, Mm -hmm. um, manipulating, like moving it from place to place. And, but it wasn't the doll itself. Wasn't actually doing, it doesn't get up. It doesn't talk. It's a demon puppeteering the doll outside of its body. Um, and that was initially the original turnoff because that's not where I thought this was going. I thought it was at least encased in the doll and working through the doll, not just using it to freak people out and try and steal their children and possess their children. But they correct it later on. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive into Annabelle. Uh, looking over that series as a whole, it divides up. Uh, you're right, it's kind of the vessel for the the story and mine i said when i was talking and planning this i said my take on the most important entity or person throughout the series was the demon or the spiritual side of it because that was the part of the story that kind of found itself intertwined through the entire series it wasn't necessarily one person (laughs) one thing so i think annabelle the nun and Annabelle are all kind of tied together with who this demon is, I guess, is the best way to put it, right? No, the uh, nun was a different one, and then the one who took over yes. Annabelle was separate. Um, Correct. But the entity, the idea of the, I don't want to say the supernatural, that seems like a really phoned-in way to do this, but I feel like the demons from every specific story, because it was all about the the control of the supernatural and being able to progress it and when you get into the annabelle series this is where you get into that question of the vessel of what annabelle was to the warrens when she got brought in um we're going to do this one out of chronological orders in the way they were released we're going to do them chronologically in the way the story makes sense so it's the story of annabelle being made uh the guy who makes her and everything happening with his family and his daughter dies and like everything tied into it 
allows for that doll to be passed along, and then it's the story of Annabelle. Um, what did you think about this series, uh, Katie, when you watched The Conjuring Universe? Where did you rank it amongst the, the Conjuring movies? Did you prefer The Conjuring, or did you prefer Annabelle? I prefer The Conjuring movies, but like I have nothing like against the Annabelle movies. Like I just watched the first one and the second one today. Well, I didn't get to finish the second one because I had to come back and do the interview. But, um, yeah, like, it's interesting to see the history of Annabelle. Like, seeing the doll get made and see what happened with um, the daughter. And then leading into the first movie with, like, the Manson family ties and the satanic stuff. So, I mean... I, like I said, I prefer the Conjuring movies, but the Animal movies are really cool because they give you more history into, like, why the fuck Annabelle, this doll, is creepy and scary and terrifying. You haven't seen any of the Annabelles yet, have you, Al? I'm sorry, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nobody's talking. <laughs> I was reading something, sorry. Um... I haven't seen the Annabelle movies, but I do know a lot about because I, so several years ago, like, I went down this huge rabbit hole of, like, I started watching Zach's show, Ghost Adventures, and so, like, I went down this whole rabbit hole about the Warrens, so I know a lot about, like, their story and those things and, like, the Amityville Horror and, like, so I know, like, a lot about, like, them, and I know a lot about, like, Annabelle, like, the the movies like are cool dolls are always creepy honestly i feel like if they had kept it the doll that it was supposed to be the raggedy Ann doll honestly that's creepier to me than this porcelain doll because like i'm sorry like if i saw that porcelain doll i would have thrown it in the trash like immediately. they did they tried. <laughs> they it came out it could do all kinds of things <laughs> yes well, yeah. but yeah but, like, but she, so, but yeah, she didn't see it, so it's okay. Yeah, but like based when, on like what y'all said, like that it wasn't the doll that was possessed; it was somebody like moving the doll, like having uh-huh. a creation story of a doll that's not actually the pos- like the possessed object. Like, doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. Well, here, let me see if I can if I can help you with that. So, in Annabelle Creation, which is actually the second Annabelle movie, um, there is a father who has a daughter um, who he makes dolls. That is his job, mm-hmm. and he's a great doll maker. He's highly regarded. Blah blah. blah. His daughter dies uh, in a tragic way, and then they're distraught. The last doll that he made ends up, you know, kind of being solace and comfort to them. And the wife is trying to contact the spirit of her daughter and they accidentally invite a demon into the doll or into the family um thinking that it is their daughter that is doing these things then uh when they figure out that's not it they board it up in their daughter's old room in a closet filled with bible verses and hope that it never escapes uh then make the brilliant idea to allow um orphans who are being uh looked over by nuns to come and move in and stay with them because he thinks his wife who's been sick and all this it might help having a child in the house again it might help him it might help her so they they invite all of these orphans these little girl orphans into the house uh one of which is uh 
crippled from I don't, polio. I don't know, polio was it polio yeah that's yep. a thing right Bobby you had that once um <laughs> <clears throat> so she had polio so her her legs are all messed up and she can't play with the other girls so they kind of lead you to believe that the girl that is going to get possessed is one of her friends not actually the girl that does get possessed mm -hmm. but uh because she's the one that finds the doll and goes in the room and all of this but uh eventually the the demon transfers itself to this little girl this little girl then gets adopted and moves in or lives with this family joins a manson-like cult comes back kills her family lives next door to the people who so the wife is pregnant and she collects dolls and this is like a doll that she's always wanted mm -hmm. so her husband finds the doll sans demon like just the demon left it's in the little girl now he happens to find the exact same doll gets it for his wife manson demon possessed woman comes over attacks her then in a suicide ritual puts the demon back in the doll and now the demon is back in the doll living with these people causing all sorts of trouble until it gets they get rid of it and then it goes to the nurses and then ends up with the warrens and then stuff happens with the warrens in the third movie where Nan or uh, babysitters and babysitters friends like to play with shit they shouldn't play with and unleash all mm -hmm. sorts of hell across the house yeah. was the third one like babysitters club because when i watched it i was like this is like if nickelodeon made a horror movie i feel like because it was like a bunch of teenagers doing exactly what their parents told them not to do yeah yeah basically i mean that's kind of <laughs> how it came across to me it was like Hey, we're gonna let you guys stay here. You know you're not supposed to go in that room, right? And like, how come their daughter didn't put up more of a fight? She's she's at this point she's old enough to know right from wrong. <clears throat> but she has no friends. Nobody likes her. They think she's creepy. So this is somebody who her babysitter is someone who's nice to her. It's the closest thing she has mm -hmm. to a friend, and her babysitter's best friend also the same way. And you can kind of tell, like, even though he's mean to her, she kind of has a crush on the babysitter's friend's little brother, who's the one that's mainly picking on her at school. So, like, there's that. Like, she doesn't want to go against the grain and, again, be singled out as this weird kid that no one wants to talk to and lose. The only real relationships are kind of friendships she feels she has, which is why she doesn't put up more of a fight, even though. And at her age, I don't think she fully grasps the... Uh, severity of everything severity of all of the evil shit that is locked away like you hear it like you're told don't don't stick your finger in the light socket but until you stick your finger in the light socket you don't really understand why they keep telling you not to do it you just know you're not supposed to do it then one time you know you stick your finger in there and it zaps you and you're like oh okay that's why <laughs> so the bigger question here is if you found yourself in the position as the babysitter's friend would you guys be, would the curiosity get the cat? Would you guys go into the museum? Would you touch the stuff? Would you try to channel the, the demons to talk to somebody? Even if the friend, like looking at it from the fan's perspective, like she was trying to talk to her dad. You know, even if something Because is of the severe guilt of the fact that she crashed the car that her dad died in, and she has felt guilty this entire time that she killed her dad. And she just wants to apologize and talk to her dad one last time because she is overburdened with grief and guilt and feeling like she's the one that was the reason her dad or she's the reason her dad died like i would go in there ain't no fucking way i'm touching anything in there no, no. shot 
let alone everything. What did you touch? Everything. Yeah, like, why the fuck are you touching every single object? Like, I mean, I probably would have went in. I probably would have went in front of the mirror and like danced or crip walk a little bit, but I would not touch. <laughs> I would have not touch anything. But that that's it though. Like, I mean, some of those artifacts, like you guys saw them in person, right, Katie? So like, they're like yeah, creepy as hell. Yeah. So like, I don't even think that a uh, yeah a normal person would Just, like, dare to do anything. Anything that's haunted or is rumored to be haunted. Or has some type of evil in it. Because, like, she knows who the Warrens are and oh, what they right. do. Yeah. Uh, what? <sighs> no. Don't touch She knows that they things. can contact spirits and that there is something in the house that might allow her a chance to apologize to her dad and tell her that she's sorry. Like, she doesn't know necessarily. She doesn't know the history behind every object or what every object is. She just knows that one of these could be a way for her to talk to her dad. So she tried a little bit of everything. Also, this is a fantastic horror trope where even though technically like Laurie Strode was a dirty blonde in the movie, like a very light brunette, there's always like a blonde babysitter who has an outgoing brunette friend that causes problems because Annie and Halloween is yep. yelling at Michael Myers and flicking him off and doing some shit. Like they've always got that loud talking brunette friend that causes more problems than they need to when uh -huh. the virginal blonde-ish babysitter is trying to be a good person and not fuck with Bob because Bob's got balls, even though she's got a crush on Bob. <laughs> So, um, baby, real quick, the, the one comparison. The oh, I'm sorry, Bill. Oh, Will, sorry, I call him Bill. Bill? My bad. <laughs> um, the one comparison I got from this country, uh, from Annabelle, is that like it's a combination of a lot of like movies like putting together, right? So like the, it's part Pinocchio, right? Because he makes dolls, right? Then the thing that happens with the daughter is taken, definitely taken from Pet, Pet Cemetery, right? With the whole thing that happens. Right, and then a part of it is master of puppets, like the puppet master. You ever seen the horror movie where it's like, no, Andre Toulon's puppet master? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah, that yeah, had to do with Nazis and shit, and that was nothing like this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I know, I'm but curious. like, let him tie it together, Matt. Let somebody him tie it together. trying to control the, the controlling. <laughs> the... You know what? Fuck it. I shut. I'm shutting up. <laughs> Explain to me how Annabelle is like uh, Nazis. Uh, Blade Nazis pinhead. Uh, an assortment of puppets made by a man. I mean, have you seen the way she life. walks? I mean, she walks like a Nazi. She doesn't walk. That's the thing. She doesn't walk. I know. I was just trying to continue my comparison, but um, <laughs> but yeah, but that, that's kind of what I got from. Are demons Nazis? Is that what you're saying, Jess? Well, Listen, <laughs> they did a lot of crazy shit, you know, in their day. You know, who knows? Fair enough. I mean, all around just bad guys. Right. Right. Um, rounding out, the... must could agree with that. I mean, <laughs> they're just. Generally... No, Allison's a huge Gunther fan. I've heard that. So no. <laughs> she keeps yeah, pestering me to write the the Imperium article, and I'm like, oh, I'm not ready to pull that trigger yet. <laughs> it's coming. I'm working on it. <laughs> it's all there. All the information is there. I'm I know. Just saying. Um, rounding out the Conjuring universe is the Nun. Um, this one was kind of Matt. You were implying that you thought maybe this might be the the most important character in the series, right? And that what you were saying? Uh, well, Ed and Lorraine Warren are the most important. Oh, okay, characters. yeah, yeah, they're I'm the sorry. anchors. Yeah. Yes. However, the nun for me, Valak the demon, is the creepiest character. Um, yeah. Visually, with even with the CGI and everything, and then uh, 
again, I have a semi-religious background growing up. So the religious aspect, the church aspect, again, there was World War II implications in this movie. Um, also, real quick, because I kind of brushed over, but the nun that was in the house in Annabelle Creation also visited the monastery that Valak ends up killing everyone because that's where her body is trapped and yeah. trying to escape and does escape through Louise. I, I believe it was Louise or Louis. Louise. I think it was Louise. Um, but anyway, Frenchie. yeah, Frenchie. There you go. Um, who then the Warrens get the demon out of. And then that demon is kind of chasing them around and following them around. Goes to Enfield, draws them in all of this stuff, visions. So, but I, it's hard to say because again, you brought it up. The demon, which we don't even really know a lot about, despite having three movies that has possessed Annabelle, versus Valak, who is a very clear character, um, have intertwined themselves throughout this entire franchise and are almost two equals um, at this point through what they've kind of created and their importance in the series. So. uh the tie-in um with the warrens the the tie-in for the the story <coughs> itself um you can help me clarify this because even i was having some trouble with it how exactly does the story of the nun tie into ed lorraine warren then because this was set you know 30 years before the first conjuring right well so go ahead katie go ahead katie, yeah so Frenchie at the end of the nun gets possessed by Valak in the conjuring they show like the clip to the class or whatever wherever they are speaking the person who's possessed in that film is Frenchie and that and is also oh sorry yeah no go ahead good good well I was gonna say that is also the possession that they talk about and the exorcism that they talk about that almost killed Lorraine that made her almost stop doing these things. Yep. So is this all tied into the vision that she saw all for Ed's death, right? Because wasn't that all tied into the story too? Because she saw how Ed was going to die. Was kind of. That was more so Valak like playing into Lorraine's fear okay. of losing Ed. But she, I mean, Valak is the reason that, like Matt saying, like Lorraine almost died and quit doing all of this, and then that leads into the second movie where she's the main villain whatever arch nemesis they actually of. replay the bit from the conjuring but i think it's just like it's not them teaching it it's just like the the video reel of frenchie being exercised in a post-credit scene in the mm -hmm. nun so in the nut like you see frenchie come out and then you see like the upside down cross poke out of his skin and it's like oh okay something's going on here and then they explain because frenchie was this farmer and blah 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 and got here and all of these things and they're like kind of telling you okay that person, if you paid attention in the first movie that they were talking about when uh, the parent family came to talk to her, yeah. was the dude that ended up taking Valak out of the monastery and bringing them into the Warren's life. And so it's all that's why I said they're almost two equals, because while Annabelle has more movies and more appearances than Valak, Valak is kind of, as you talked about through the timeline, strewn throughout their lives because once they've exercised Frenchie, this thing is kind of 
finding ways to attack them and come for them. So taking my perspective of saying that the demons entities throughout the series, maybe I guess that maybe does make Valak the, and I guess that would be a more finite explanation of who I said was the the most important then because Valak would be there throughout most of it. Um, The curse of law Lorena was that one was specific with the Annabelle series. It was tied into that story, but it was specific to the groundskeeper of the the story, right? Uh, what was his name? Uh, Father? No, it's Father Perez. Yeah, uh, Father, Father Perez. Yeah. Uh, did you guys watch that one? It's I've seen it once. It's been a while. Yeah, I've, I've seen, seen it, it tw- once. I've seen it twice. Also been a while. Not my favorite in the series because yeah. even though because uh, and that was the point I was trying to make earlier. So the connection here is only Father Perez and taking a priest, taking a nun, taking, you know, an ancillary character from another movie and then going off on a journey with them. I don't have a connection with Father Perez, even getting into this section um, for the curse of La Llorona. La Llorona. La Llorona. Listen, I practiced it when I was sending it to you. And then I've been practicing it here for when I had to say it, and I still fuck it up every time. But La Llorona. Anyway. Llorona. It's it's actually, in uh, Hispanic culture, a very um, prominent tale. Yeah, Yeah, it's a very big folklore that they um, touched on here. Uh, But again... I didn't even realize it was really part of the Conjuring universe until I, like, realized that it was. Like, it didn't feel like the other movies, and because Father Perez was the only one that was tying them together, it didn't, It, it it's that, like I said, it's exactly what I was talking about. Like, that is not enough to continue a series on. Like, you can't just have ancillary characters investigating ghosts around the world and be like, oh, it's part of the universe because you saw him in this movie one time. It's not enough. That's why Ed and Lorraine are the linchpin. Right. Yeah. Is this one of those situations like with Halloween 3 where it had to do with the witches is the same universe but really didn't have anything to do with the the Michael Myers story whereas the <laughs> the curse of La Lorena if you took it outside of the conjuring <laughs> Yorona Yorona I do, but right now I'm. Yeah, I know. But right now, Vince is gonna be disappointed in you. He's super disappointed. He was talking dirty to me in the chat, and I ignored him. I'm sorry, Vince. He fucking was. He left. Um, is this one of those stories where if you took it away and you didn't have anything about the Conjuring, like, do you think it would be good as a standalone movie on its own? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a good, it's a good story, like. Especially because it is pro- okay. Matt disagrees, but it's more I like the story behind it, like the fact that it is a very well-known folk- folklore in Hispanic cultures and stuff like that. Yes, it it very well could. I I just it's just one of the things where, like Matt said, you kind of just forget that it is a part of the universe because only fucking Father Perez was there, and he's not even in the whole movie, if I can remember. Right. I mean, to be honest, even though I like the the folklore and, and everything, how it ties into the culture, I could do without it, to be honest. It doesn't really push the movies forward other than just having the one character, you know? But that's, I mean, because you don't see anything else, like, in the other movies from that series, so. 
just loosely tied to the entity. Yeah, right? yeah. Just loosely, like, he's getting the stuff because of the doll, but there's really no other reference to the doll, right? Basically, yeah. Okay. All right, guys. It's not my favorite. It's not my favorite in the franchise at all. Um, oh, mine either. There's only two of us that... Oh, sorry, Matt. Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't... I honestly, like... Like I said, I love James Wan because he also did Insidious. He's done uh, Lights Out. He's done a lot of really good horror. I we got into a point where he was producing and not directing, and La Llorona was one of those movies Llorona. where he didn't direct, he produced. Um, <coughs> and I, I honestly like whether it's connected to the Conjuring universe or not. I don't feel like if it was separate, I would like it anymore. Whereas Halloween, to your point three has kind of built a cult following. I don't think that this movie is going to build at any point a cult following where it's going to be, in some circles, the most beloved of the universe. I, I really don't see that. So, I mean, definitely would never rise to the cultness of Halloween 3. But, like, I understand it's, it's not my favorite movie in the universe either at all. Like, again, completely forgot it was even in the universe. It's... I mean, it, like I said, it wasn't like a terrible movie. I like I like the premise behind it, but if you just put it against all these other movies, it doesn't hold up. All right, the three of us have said who we thought the most important person or entity in the films were. Katie, you haven't yet. Who do you think the anchor character in the entire series is? Oh. <laughs> It's it's actually Chucky. Um, it's one hundred percent Chucky. <laughs> it's one hundred percent Chucky. Uh, I I think it's the Warrens because they have some connection to every again besides Cousin I don't know, but like that's besides the point. But like they have some connection to the rest of the movies, and they're kind of the reasons why these things are happening, and can fix and or save the people that are infected by these demons. Al, I know you have a very, you, you kind of have the same vibe, but you have a different explanation for your answer because we've already talked about it. Who is the most important character in the series? I think it is Lorraine specifically. Um, as a clairvoyant, like the demons are attracted to her. They do the things to her Ed is the one that, like, makes it all go away, but she's the one that is attracting everything. Everything is attracting to her, and it's using her daughter to get to her. Yeah. I can agree with that. All right, guys. I think we've done about all the damage we can do for one night. Talking about horror movies and such. I appreciate y'all stopping by. Uh, let's plug our stuffs and go home. Uh, Miss Katie Kinsey, I'm going to start with you. Plug your stuff. <clears throat> you can follow me on Twitter at KatieRassin13. The link to your about to get things she leads showcase. Twitch.tv slash she leads showcase. Typically Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern. YouTube.com slash she leads showcase. I say watch your videos because they're way more entertaining. Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. If you want to listen, <clears throat> she leads showcase is the weekly podcast show. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, things are happening. Um, like I said, Sheila Turkey is the weekly podcast I do. Inside the Mind of an interview series I do. The latest one with Krista B from Those Wrestling Girls is out. I just did one with Joey from the Angle, po uh, Angle Podcast. That'll be out next Monday. 
Uh, and there's a bunch of other shows up on the channel if you want to go check them out. Allison got the creepiest doll. Just for the got. people who can't see it. Just is all I got. plug your stuff, sir. And thank you, Katie, as always. Yo, yo, yo. You can find me on Get Your Podcast on Twitter. Get Your Podcast on Instagram. If you can't find me there, you can find me on Marks and Mikes. I just dropped an episode with my homegirl, Jizzy, talking about adult shit called Lichon Diaries. So that's going to be up right now. So, yeah, check me out. Mr. Ritter. And as always, you can follow me at my Ritter's at M-A-T-T-R-I-D-E-R on Twitter only. Also, getting off, uh, if you're into the horror and you want to check out more horror, come check that out. Uh, Katie, Reek, Justin, and I are going to drop something next Saturday. I just still don't know what it is. Well, the, well, it, today's still Sunday, so next Saturday. Uh, this upcoming Saturday, the, the next one. The next Saturday, <laughs> we'll be live talking either... <laughs> Christmas horror movies or doing a watch along to a Texas Chainsaw Massacre porn parody. I haven't, I really, I really need to figure out what we're doing. We, we um, really do. Yeah. So we'll work that out. Uh, but that is that getting off on Twitter only. Creation World is a banner under which the Smackin' Raw podcast exists. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at It's Creation World, I T S C R E A T I A World, or creationworld.com or facebook.com slash creationworld uh, to get everything that we do getting off Smackin' Raw. Uh, hashtag them dragons, uh, creation conversation, super flash air of tomorrow, or creation comics now, all those things. Go check it out. Miss Siegel. You can find me at justagirl918 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at 520 TikTok followers. So close to 1,000. We're halfway there, people. Um, but yeah, follow me. Uh, we'll do, I've got some stuff, um, working on a couple of my own solo projects, so that should be fun. I appreciate you guys coming by and hanging out with me. I know, oh, much, yeah. I know much more about wrestling than I do horror movies, but I still like talking about them. They're still fun. I love horror movies. Oh yeah, for sure. So thanks for the invite. Absolutely. I appreciate it. But now as we close another episode of Botch Bots and Share Shots, I want to take a minute and thank you for listening. Remind you to go wherever you do anything on the internet. Like, follow, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling me how great I am or how terrible I sound. Either way, it helps the algorithm and it helps find new listeners. If you're feeling really generous and be one of VIP people, head over to Rivet City Radio on Patreon and donate to the Rivet City Radio Podcast Network. You get some fantastic swag. We get some fantastic guests. It's a win-win. For Katie Rasslin 13, for Get Your Podcast, for M A T T R I D D E R, Matt Ritter, and for Just a Girl 918, I am the Will Gray. Thanks for stopping by and listening, my people. <laughs>